What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and with me, as always, is my man, my co-host, Curtis. Well, Kurt, uh, that was pretty awesome, wouldn't you say? Yeah, you know, I'm eating that bowl of crow today. Um, but, yeah, I was very yeah, excited. Yeah, you gotta eat that. that crow, dude. Come on, man. Come on. Hey, I'll, I'll eat it. I mean, I'm glad to be proved wrong, honestly. It's all, yeah, I mean, it's all good. I mean, whenever you do shows like this, you're gonna, you can't get them all right. It's just, uh, when you get it wrong, you just gotta own it. It's all good. You get, as long as you get more right and you get wrong, and, and at least most of the time, you're, that's you. You get, you get more right, don't you? More right than wrong? Yeah, usually. I mean, usually. I did get that A&M game. Oh, shut your face, dude. Yeah, we were, we were sitting there, for all you guys out there, we were sitting at, the Blind Pig in Athens watching that game, uh, the A&M Arkansas game. It went, obviously, if you watch it, it went back and forth, back and forth. And that was like the one game that w- w- with our picks, our week four picks, Curtis and I went different on. He had A&M, I had Arkansas straight up, and the pigs let me down, man. Pigs let me down. But um, that it was it was an awesome experience Saturday night. I mean, I've go to. I mean, it's been over a decade since I've missed a game. But uh, so every game is awesome. Well, some more so than others. But uh, that was a that was a lot of fun, man. I think for me, it was just it, there was no stress. You know what I mean? Like I was stressed out because I always am stressed out uh, at the beginning of the game, right at kickoff. But as soon as we hit the ball, we got the flea flicker for a touchdown, and we basically had no stress in the arm because we could just control the game. And it's been a while since we just flat out dominated a team like that at home, especially a team that a lot of people out there nationally were picking to come into Athens and beat us. So. It was a lot of fun, man. Uh, it's really, I mean, I hate to say it, but it's been a while since I've had that much fun in San Francisco Stadium. I mean, there's been some great games, but they're all stressful. I mean, we're down at the wire, I'm hitting, sitting here, knocking on wood, biting my fingernails, and it's just freaking me out. But that wasn't the case. It's been a while since we had a game like that. But we will definitely dig into all of that today. That is the goal on today's show, kind of recap that victory and see what we can take from it. But before we get into all that, just a couple quick reminders we want to throw your way. Uh, just... For all you newer listeners, you can follow us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. And if you're a regular listener and you're not following us on Twitter, definitely check us out there. We'd love to hear your thoughts on the show and uh, the team and what's going on between the hedges here and the rest of the season. So check us out there. You can also email us if that's a little easier for you guys. Uh, podcast at gmail.com would be the address. And you can also check us out on our Facebook page, the Glory UGA Podcast Facebook page. And one more quick thing here, just again for our newer listeners, because so we're getting new listeners every single week, it seems like. So if you're new to the show, you can check us out. Obviously, you're listening to us somewhere, but you can check us out on a number of different platforms. Obviously, iTunes and SoundCloud would be the big ones, but you can check us out on Stitcher, TuneIn, and also DogSportsRadio.com, part of the V-Sport-O Internet Radio Network. All right, well, that stuff out of the way, Kurt. Let's go ahead and move into breaking this game down, man. Uh, first question is just pretty simple. 31-3. to 3. 31 to 3. And you're not you're not alone eating crow, dude, by the way. And I appreciate you being intellectually honest and, and going to what you thought was going to happen. But there are a lot of national pundits out there. A lot of people. In fact, I would say the vast majority of national college football analysts were picking Mississippi State to come in here and beat us. So how was it that we were able to, I, I don't, I don't want to say defy the odds because we were still the, the slight favorite in the game, but how were we able to win this game so decisively? Um, I honestly think it's the game plan. I think we came in prepared. 
for every aspect of the game, and that's where we really controlled it. I mean, it wasn't just defense, offense. I think we, um, our coaches had a great game plan coming into the week of what we wanted to do. And if you, I don't know how many of you guys listened to Coach Smart's uh, post game conference when he's t- ch- uh, interview when he's talking to Chuck Dowdle. Yeah. He said that you know he actually called and talked to LSU coaches, and you know that one thing LSU coaches thought was that they were undisciplined and everything, and a lot of their you know aspects of the game. And so Coach Martin then really preached discipline, and that's where he really saw it. I mean. Um, we'll get into more detail, but I just think that's the game. I think the game plan really was what won us the game, honestly. Man, there's a couple of things that stood out for me. Number one is we just seized the momentum so early, and with a rocking home environment, once we seized that momentum early with a flea flicker that was put perfectly out there by Jake Fromm, we never gave it back. We just never gave it back, and we did to them what they did to LSU. That, it's kind of funny that you bring in LSU and the fact that Kirby called them and talked to those guys. We did to Mississippi State exactly what they did to LSU. We took a team that relies on being able to run it for their offense to function effectively, and we forced them to play from behind, from way behind uh, from the early third quarter on. And I said in the – another thing here is I also said in the preview show that as good as Nick Fitzgerald is, he is not equipped to beat anyone as a drop back passer. He's just – that's not who he is. He's a really good player, but that's not what he does. You have to force him to play left-handed. What I mean by that is do what he isn't great at or what he isn't comfortable with. And what that is is being a drop-back passer. He's not comfortable with that. So we did exactly that. We forced him to be what he's not. And as expected, he was 14-29 to 29, under 50% passing for 83 yards. For 83 yeah, I mean, yards. And right there, you're really onto something where we forced him to do what he did because the times where they were getting third and two, third and three, they usually converted with him or some other yeah. place. They were converting those. But when we were getting him into third and fives and deeper, that's where you really saw him uncomfortable, and that's where we were definitely winning the defensive battle. Yeah, and, and the way that we were – see, I, I knew that's what we needed to be able to do. I just wasn't sure if we'd be able to do that. Would we be able to take Nick Fitzgerald in this offense out of what they want to do? I mean, they ran the ball about 64% of the time coming into this game through the first three weeks of the season. That is what they do. And then they throw the ball off play action. They can hurt you off that. But that all is all going back on whether or not they can establish the run. And they were never able to do that. So there's a couple of things that we were able to do to keep them from being – their, their traditional run-heavy team. Number one, we got an early lead, like I mentioned a second ago. We had an early lead, but we also played lights out again on the front seven. We won one-on-one battles in the trenches. Like I, I, It was one of the keys I, to the game that I pointed out in the preview show. And then to kind of go hand-in-hand with that, not only were we winning one-on-one battles in the trenches, but our DBs were able to win in man coverage all night long, which really allowed us to keep our base personnel on the field. Almost every first down, there are a few situations where it's a little different. But almost every first down, we went with the, the scheme that we had against Notre Dame, where we had our base person on the field, where Lorenzo Carter was kind of playing that hybrid star slash outside linebacker position. We didn't play it as much as we did against Notre Dame. We, we were in that look almost all night long in all downs and distances against Notre Dame for the most part, except late in the game when they were trying to throw to come back. Uh, but we did it on first downs heavily. Saturday night, but then in certain situations, we when we get them in third and long, we bring our nickel, our, our typical nickel coverage in there. Uh, we'd also throw in some dime looks as well when you get Malcolm Parrish on the field. So we were able to, like I said, win one-on-one battles in the trenches. And the DBs were able to win in man coverage all night. And when we get an early lead, it just kind of snowballed from there, and it, it was it was pretty incredible. And we came out with a balanced attack, you know, and we didn't look. We only threw the ball twelve times on the night. But we were willing to put the ball in the air on early downs early in the game. And despite only throwing it 12 times in the night, we, we were still able to, to at least 
threaten them enough with the vertical ball. And we hit a couple of them. We hit just enough of them to where we kept them off balance defensively, and they had to at least account for that. And we would have thrown the ball more than 12 times. I mean, you look at the, if you look at the box, we're like, well, Georgia only threw it 12 times. How can you say they were balanced? Well, we would have thrown it more than 12 times, but we got out to such a big lead that we didn't need to throw it much more later in the game. I mean, Fromm threw his last pass with one minute and three seconds left in the third quarter, and we just iced it from there. Uh, so, again, he didn't, we didn't throw it a ton in the final box score, but in the first half, particularly the first quarter, we did what I felt we were going to have to do, and that is throw them out of heavy boxes. Listen to this, Decker. I went back and did some numbers here on Sunday. We threw it on first down. Four of 12 times, four of 12 times through our first four possessions of the game. That's a full one-third of the time through our first four possessions of the game. Again, we didn't throw it a ton if you look at the overall box score, but early in the game when they were coming out with heavy boxes, we were willing to throw them out of it, and we connected. We threw four out of 12 times on first down through the first four possessions of the game. Uh, we also did a great job breaking tendencies by throwing the ball on third and short through the, through the third quarter. We threw the ball on third, uh, on third and third down and four or less, three out of five times in those situations, and that helped us not just against Mississippi State, but also is going to help us down the road as teams try to chart our tendencies. We were able to break tendency there a little bit, which I think is going to pay dividends down the road for us. But uh, man, it was just a, it really was a dominating performance. Anything else you got on why we were able to do that? Oh no, I think we'll get into it more as you know. I don't want to jump some of the other segments. Yeah, yeah, we got a couple things that are overlap here. I got one more thing to add before we move into some of the other segments here. In our game preview last week, I mentioned that my one big reason for optimism coming into the game was that we would have opportunities to hit big plays against this Mississippi State defense. It was just going to be up to us to convert. I mean, LSU, this is the reason I felt like that was watching the LSU game. They had multiple big play opportunities that they just didn't. They just simply did not convert on. They had two touchdowns called back. They were big plays. They should not have been called back. I think they were bogus penalties. But they had those plays called back. And they had at least two more definite, well, at least one more definite touchdown on one of them, and at least a huge play that would set them up for a score that were just dropped. Okay, so I I felt like we would have opportunities. I felt this Mississippi State defense was a little bit overvalued coming into the end. They were good. I didn't think they were as good as people had them being after that beatdown of LSU. So I felt we would have chances. We just had to take advantage of it, and that's what we did. We took advantage of the opportunities that presented themselves, which is a big step for this team. Because think about last year, Kurt. Think about all the opportunities that we had, all the plays that were dialed up, all the big play opportunities, and we just did not consistently hit them dating back to last year. And when the offense coordinator dials up layups, you have got to hit them to win big games. And we did that Saturday night, and we did it consistently we left a lot of points out in the field against both Appalachian State and even more so Notre Dame because we didn't execute okay well whether, whether it's from overthrowing a guy whether it's Miko dropping a pass in his hands we didn't execute we left points out there on the field but really on Saturday night outside of Godwin's one drop that would have converted a third down down in the red zone we executed and hit on just about all of the big play opportunities that were there and I, I felt if we did that we would win this game I really did I just didn't know if we would be able to do it and fortunately for us we were able to do so. All right, let's move on to something else here. So uh, that's a little bit of breakdown of how we were able to win that game so decisively. But what are you taking away from this game? Yes, it was a beatdown in Mississippi State. But it comes back to the question, kind of like with LSU, Mississippi State being LSU last week. Okay, they beat, they beat LSU really badly, but how good is LSU? Okay, we beat Mississippi State really badly, but how good really is Mississippi State? What are you taking away from this game? Um, you know, I think... Mississippi State's a little overrated. I have said to you, know, to you all week that I thought we were playing them at the right time. 
Yeah. But the one thing is, though, is that we weren't sloppy in all facets of the game. I mean, punting, kicking, um, every facet, we were very solid and very fundamental. And I think that's the biggest thing, the biggest thing to me was just the way we took care of business. And, um, you know, if they're a great, good team or not, I mean, that's still to be decided. But the way we handled it and, you know, like last week, you know, there was no chance of Sanford beating us. But, you know, I talked to you about how I was a little frustrated how I felt in the second quarter of those last couple of drives. We were really sloppy. It didn't end the, the half like we should have. And right. that wasn't the case against this team. No, we, we played a very clean game, and we finished, okay? Now, we, we probably could have put up not, – not probably. We definitely could have put up more than 31 points in this team. We, we definitely iced the game pretty much for the entire fourth quarter. I mean, I'll go back again. Fromm's last pass was with one minute and three seconds left in the third quarter. We definitely could have put up more points in this team, but we, we iced it. Um, but we, we basically dominated this team from start to finish. I mean, there's, there's no getting around that. For me, my big takeaway – and I got one big one here – First, let me say this. We are not unbeatable by any stretch of the imagination, okay? Not by any stretch of the imagination. We are a beatable football team. We, we have our flaws like any other team. And I still think that any team left on our schedule is fully capable of beating us on any given Saturday if we come out flat and bring a C-level, B-level game, and if they play really well. They're capable of beating us. That's, there's no doubt. I mean, I mean that. Anyone on our schedule is. But in every game the rest of the way, having said that, in every game the rest of the way, it will be about us and how we play. We are better than every team in our schedule. That doesn't mean we're going to win every game, but we will be the more talented team every Saturday from here on through the end of November. If we lose from this point on, it will be because we didn't play up to our standards and we played down to an opponent. We aren't Bama yet, okay, guys? Let's not get ahead of ourselves. We are not Alabama yet. We are not the level where we are just so good that we can still beat just about anyone on our schedule, even if we play poorly. But if we play our A game through the rest of the regular season, we will not lose. I can't sit here and say that I can predict that we will bring our A game every week, especially in the games where the talent gap isn't as great. You know, when we're playing teams like Auburn, Florida, Tennessee, maybe to a lesser degree, where we, I think we have a talent advantage, but it's not a huge gap there. But still, every game the rest of the way, I think how we fare from here on out is all about us. It's about how we play. If we play our A game, there is no one on our schedule the rest of the way. that If, if we bring our A game, they bring our their A game, we're the better team. We will win. Now, if we play down to a team, we can lose. Absolutely. We're not, like I said, we're not Alabama. We can just roll our hat out there and win a football game, even if we play poorly. We're not there yet. But if, if we play like we are capable, we will win every game from here on out. It just remains to be seen whether we're going to do that. I don't know. Does that make sense, Kurt? Oh, I mean, I think it's fair, <clears throat> especially with the, the the disparity in SEC teams right now. I mean, look at our schedule from this from from here on out. There's definitely some landmines there. I mean, Florida, we know the we, we know the history there in Jacksonville. I mean, at Tennessee, anytime you go to Knoxville and play, I don't care what Tennessee is that give any given year. We go there and play. That's a tough place to play. South Carolina coming after Florida. I know losing Debo Samuel. Uh, that's that's definitely hurt them, but they're still capable of beating us if we don't play well. Tech is capable of beating us. I hate saying that, but they're capable of beating us. Uh, even Kentucky. I mean, I, Kentucky at home, we absolutely should win that game, but if, if if we play like trash, they could beat us. Missouri. Missouri's not good, but that, on any given Saturday, that Missouri offense can start clicking and they can and they can scare you. So I think we, we can win. 
Or we should win every game. I just, again, it's a matter of how, how do we show up every Saturday, you know? I mean, if you had to look from here on out, what's the what's the one biggest game you think is the biggest landmine left on our schedule? Because a lot of people are pointing to Mississippi State being the toughest game left on our schedule. Now that we've cleared that hurdle. I still say Auburn because of the fact that it's a away game. I know, you know, their stadium's not a gigantic, or I mean, not, you know, not the loudest place impose, impose, yeah, it's, it's okay. But I still think it's just that their defense on any day, if your offense isn't clicking, can give you trouble. Yeah, their defense is really good. I mean, our defense is fantastic, but their defense isn't that far behind. It might be right up there, too. And I think by that time of the season, I think they might have gotten into a little bit more of a rhythm offensively. Than, look, early in the season, I know they've had offensive struggles. I mean, you don't know if they lose a couple games, they could be playing for Malzahn's job. Yeah, they absolutely could. There's so much football left to be played at this point. But I, I feel like early in the season, yes, they were having some struggles offensively because they're still working a new coordinator, new quarterback. They're trying to figure out, okay, how do you merge Malzahn's system with Chip Lindsay's system, which I think is a mistake anyway. I think he just let Chip Lindsay run his offense. They'd be just fine. But Malzahn doesn't seem to want to do that. He seems to want to get fired. Uh, but I think by the time we get there, it, you're right. It could be a situation where maybe they they're really struggling. And Malzahn's fighting for his job, and that could impact the game. Or maybe it's a situation where they've kind of got finally gotten into a rhythm offense to figure out what they can do, what they can't do, and they'll be humming. So I, I I tend to agree with you. I think that might be the biggest landmine left on the schedule. But again, I, I still say if we bring our A game to Jordan Hare, we're gonna win that football game. I truly believe that. I don't think there's any team in our schedule that is better than us if we play up to our capabilities. Now, when we get to this, if if we get to the SEC title game, that's a different story. But I'm talking about the regular season here. Uh, all right, now we've got we we cannot go too much further without talking about this quarterback situation, man. Um, it's it's getting interesting here. Fromm last night was nine of twelve, only threw ball twelve times, but when he threw it, he was very effective. Nine of twelve for two hundred one yards, two touchdowns. In my opinion. Did not throw one bad ball. He threw one ball away and had two passes dropped. He easily, very easily could have had a 100% completion percentage rate. Easily. Very easily. And so when you have a performance like that and the team wins in such a dominating fashion like we did, as soon as the game is over, you're already hearing calls for Fromm to keep the quarterback job permanently even if Jacob Eason is healthy and ready to go. Booker McFarland was one of the guys leading that charge. So, Kurt... In the recent past, you and I have both been on record as saying when Eason's health allows it, he should be our starting quarterback. But that was before Saturday's dismantling of Mississippi State. Did Jake Fromm's performance this past weekend do anything to change your position on the quarterback situation? Um, you know, I'm going to probably have an unpopular opinion, but here's the facts of the matter is I want to give credit where credit's due. Jake Fromm played really, really well. He threw some good balls. Right. But... Well, I'm gonna get into it later, but in my opinion, the the one that really opened all this up were two people or two, two groups type, one group and one person. I feel like the play calling of Jim Cheney, who, in my opinion, called the best game he's called as Georgia Bulldog, and the you know the emergence of the offensive line really made it that much easier for Fromm to play like he did. You know, Fromm has always been an accurate quarterback, and that's not the thing. But I think that those that that they made the game that much easier for Fromm. Um, I go with Cheney because the the plays he were calling up were great. Um, other than the one throw to Wims, where I thought you know you, it was a good throw ball, but I also believe Wims made a great play on it, and then the ball to um, DeAndre Swift, which he ended up fumbling. Other than those two balls, every throw that Fromm had, the receiver was open, per, very very open. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
It's a and, great point. You know, I give credit where from, you know, he, he threw a catchable ball and was able to complete it. And that, that's another aspect of the game. But the play calling at him opened up a lot of things. Um, and, there, you know, there were situations like the one where he throws a touch on the Nada. There were three wide open people. You had Christian Payne out of the backfield wide open, and you had two tight ends wide open. That was um, a beautifully schemed play. Absolutely. Yeah, beautifully schemed play. Um, and then there was there, there were two other times where um, I have to say there were some misreads where Nada was wide open for more, more than likely touchdowns on two separate occasions um, that were just missed. But I mean, he, I mean, the ball is completed, so it, you know you live to play another down. But there were times, you know, where last year if we didn't th- hit the guy that's wide open, even if the ball is completion, then you know it was upset because we did, we weren't able to convert it later in the game. But luckily, we were, we were able to convert the other plays, which made up for it. And then getting into the second part, the offensive line, they they gave um, beautiful pockets. Every single play, except for the one where he—I mean—he did a good job staying in the pocket and getting that one to nod. That was a great play. The only other time they didn't have a clean pocket for him was the one where he rolled out and threw it at, at Sony's feet, you know, for the purposely kind of throwing it away. Right. So while I think Fromm played really, really well, controlled the game, managed the game, and threw some catchable balls, I have to say that those two other groups really made his job that much easier. What did Jay Fromm ever do to you, man? I know I'm giving He's such credit. a Jay Fromm hater. No, I think he deserves credit, but I also have to say, I mean, people, you know, want to beat up on Easton so many times. I mean, last year, I don't know if he ever had more than 10 plays where he had a pocket like that. No, everything you said was completely fair. Um, I, I really can't argue with much of that at all. I think you're spot on with a lot of what you just said. I think Jim Chaney had a lot to do with Jay Fromm's success. Now, Jay Fromm has to go there and execute, which he did. Let's give him credit. Yeah, well, that's what I said. I mean, I gave him credit. He threw nice balls. He made some good decisions. And he threw, uh, you know, he, like you said, executed. But, you know, I don't think that was the full story at the same time. Okay. So let's get into the hairy part of this. If, if. Jacob Eason is healthy, and he's 100% ready to go this week. Or maybe it's in two weeks. I don't know. Whenever he's ready to go, 100%, and he's taking all those reps in practice, do you bench Jake Fromm and insert Jacob Eason back into the starting lineup? Well, I really think it uh, you know, depends on how the coaches feel. I mean, if they feel like uh, – I mean, a lot of the fans and things will think that Fromm has given us a chance to win, which I think he has at times. But other until this game, he had played well enough for us to win, but he hadn't really led us – you know, been the reason we won. Right, we hadn't won because of him. He he hadn't been a liability. We hadn't lost because of him, which is a yeah, big thing for a true freshman quarterback. But we hadn't initially won because of him. Yeah, and and I, and then in this game he played really well. But I at the same time I don't know if he's the sole reason we won. Um, and you know I think that you have to give Eason a you know I think we have to give him a shot um, because of the player he is and what I mean what he went through last year and I think he has some experience that. If we don't give him a, you know, let him go out there and see what he can do, then I, I just don't know if when the time comes, you know, I mean, this is one big thing I've said, you know, I, we haven't had to use it, but there's times where we really haven't had to put from and thrust him into a situation where we're driving for a game-winning drive with under a minute left, or even at the end of the second quarter, there's certain situations he's yet to play in. Absolutely, and it's. I, I, I mean, it's just like those situations. I mean. Yeah, see, he, I mean, yeah, we played another day, but that was a pro, you know, 50-50 throw-up. He's yet to have to go into an opposing stadium where you have to use silent counts and hard counts. You know, there's a lot of things that he hasn't been thrust into yet. That's a fantastic point. I, I'm telling you guys right now, I'm very concerned about – I think we're way better than – a way better team in terms of our talent than Tennessee is, but 
it does not matter. When you go play in that stadium with a true freshman quarterback who has not experienced an environment anywhere close to that, yes, like you said, Kurt, it's a great point. He played at Notre Dame. That was almost a 50-50 crowd. Okay, it was it was maybe not quite 50-50, but pretty close to it. All right, it was not a hostile environment. Knoxville, Neyland Stadium will be a, a very hostile environment. That I can guarantee is, that. That's the loudest place I've ever been. Yeah, I've, I've been to just I've been just about every state in the SEC. Uh, I have not been to Baton Rouge. I'll say that. I have not been to Baton Rouge. Very much looking forward to that next year. So that might take the cake. But still, Knoxville. Yeah, Knoxville is. It's loud for anybody. It's intimidating for anybody let alone a true freshman quarterback who has not really experienced an environment like that. that. That is a concern for me. There's no doubt about it. But also, on the other hand, if you put Easton in there, it's his first game back uh, coming off injury. He's probably going to be a little bit rusty. Do you really want to put him in there in that situation coming off four weeks of doing nothing? I mean, that's it's that's a, that's a question the coach you're going to have to answer. That is a good question, too. And I think the also the thing is, I mean, Vandy has a good defense, too. That's a sure. real game. I know it's not going to be wild, you know, super loud game. They did give up 59 points, but yeah, it was Alabama. Well, yeah, that's against Alabama, and Alabama was on a mission. You know, they were they were they were embarrassed at how many points they gave up to Sakara State. They were going yeah. to make a statement. Yeah. Uh, but they I mean, let, I mean, look, Vandy beat us last year at home. I mean, they could, you know, it, when it's the right time, if any. Yeah, no, it, it's it's just a really fascinating question right now, and for me. Here's how I would approach it. Look, I think Fromm has improved, clearly, with each and every game. You're right in saying there's a lot of situations he has not experienced yet, and that does – that's what the only thing that really gives me concern and gives me a little bit of pause here because it does not matter how good you are and how advanced you are from, an I, from a football IQ standpoint as a true freshman. There are certain things that you just can't know until you experience it, all right? And he, he, he's going to have to go through it, and he hasn't done it yet. So that yeah. does concern me. But I will say he's improved with each and every game, which is exactly what I expected him to do. I mean, just knowing this guy's makeup and what he's all about, I knew he's gonna, he was going to take steps with every game he played. But when it comes to answering this question, should Jacob Eason reclaim his starting job when he is fully healthy to go? I know on radio shows and podcasts, we're supposed to have these like hot takes and definitive answers for you guys. But I just don't. I got to be honest. I just don't have a definitive answer when it comes to this question. And I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I'm smarter than everyone and that I do know the answer. And the reason I don't have a definitive answer for this question is because I don't think any one of us know what Jacob Eason is right now. How well, good of a quarterback I mean, he is right now. Drives yeah. That, that was it, really. I mean, we never really got to see him with, you know – everything drawn up, you know, really trying to get the offense going, not trying to hide stuff from Notre Dame. Um, we haven't really been able to see how he's grown this year. And yeah. at the same time, these coaches have gone to war with Eason. Yeah, right. They, they're, I don't, it's hard for me to say they're more comfortable with him, but they've, they've had more time with him. I mean, going into the season, everyone knew who Fromm was. Let's be honest. There was no, there was no hidden thing of what Fromm is, of what type of player, person he is. I mean, that's never been a question. But, in the coach's mind, there was never a controversy. Yeah. Yeah, and just going back, yeah, I agree. And look, I just, back to what I was saying there, like, we we just don't know how good of a quarterback Jacob Beeson is right now. We know who he was last year. We do know that. But chances are, he's probably better than that this season. Now, by how much is he better than Fromm? We just don't know because we haven't seen him. And anyone who says they do know is just full of it. We just yeah, do mean, not know. There, there's, there's only a handful of people that ever get to see practice. Exactly. Let's be exactly. And so, and, for me, all of the debate right now surrounding the Fromm versus Eason question, is it, this is what gets me. It's based on who Eason was last year. 
And to me, well, that's it, irrelevant. The decision right it, now it, has to be based on who Jake Fromm is right now and who Jacob Eason is right now. And like you just said, I think the only people who know that, who Jake, Jacob Eason is right now and who Jake Fromm is right now, the only people who know that are the coaches and players that see him in practice every day. And even they don't know for sure because Eason hasn't played but what, like what, eight plays in 2017? Yeah, and you know, I also want to say this, that like you said, all the podcasts and radio pundits will be getting into it, and a lot of it will be on Fromm's side. And I have to say, a lot of it is unfair too. I mean, I've read it on sport, uh, you know, recruiting right, uh, recruiting p- pages where they're talking about, you know, everyone wants to talk about how Fromm got all this respect and everything, and that Eason has none. When that's not the case, they want to act like people don't have respect for Eason. And at the same time, you know, I, I mean, I know from experience that certain people favor Fromm because of the fact that. He is a Georgia boy, and Easton has that West Coast vibe that people just don't like, don't connect to. Yeah, uh, I, my wife, who is the yeah, greatest person I, on the I face of the earth. I wasn't going to name names. I wasn't going to Yeah, name I mean, my, I, my wife is, she's the greatest person on the face of the earth. She's the best football wife there's ever been. And I know everyone else has great wives too, but I just, I'm partial to mine. Uh, and, and she knows her stuff. She really does. And she loves Jake Fromm. She's a huge, she's probably a bigger Jake Fromm fan than I am. Um, you guys know that I am the president of Jake Fromm Fan Club. Uh, but it, she is not a huge Jacob Eason fan, not because she doesn't think he's good, but she doesn't like his his vibe, his attitude, and what she sees. And and she's not alone. I mean, there's a lot of people who see that in in Jacob Eason, and that kind of turns them off to a degree. Whereas Jake Fromm's a country boy, he's a Georgia native. Uh, he's got he's got a great personality. She watched the QB one thing or the little documentary, and she really kind of fell in love with him there. So I gotta watch out for Jake Fromm. Jake, stay away, man. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I think you're definitely onto something there. And look, I, if, I completely understand if someone wants to say, you know, we are re- we are winning right now with Jake Fromm. He's improving every week. He is making good decisions. He's playing better than Eason did last year. I get that. It is really hard to bench a guy that's making good decisions and is leading your team to victories. I mean, just ask the Dallas Cowboys. You really don't want to mess with a good thing. I totally understand that. I get that. But what? What if? What if? Again, it's a, it's a big what if, but what if? The other guy can make your offense even more dynamic. We just don't yeah, I, know. I, I really do. I think you're onto something right there. I mean, like you said, we. I mean, look, we barely win at another game by one point. Well, who knows how different it is if we have our second year quarterback in that game yeah. who we aren't trying to protect. Yeah, I just, I got, and like maybe Jake Fromm is better than Jacob Beeson. I'm not sitting here saying he's not. You guys know I love. I, I love what Jake Fromm brings to the table. I think long term he's going to be a freaking superstar. But right now. We, I just don't know if I can sit here one ever sit and say, yes, Jake Fromm is better than Jacob Beeson. I just don't know. I know he's better than what Jacob Beeson was last year, but that was Jacob Beeson last year. To me, that's irrelevant. We have to look about Jacob Beeson right now, Jake Fromm right now. Who gives us the better chance to win? And it, We have eight plays with Eason, so we don't really know. And this, So the whole, well, Fromm's playing better than Eason. Yeah, he's playing better than Eason was last year. That was last year, okay? So maybe, maybe he is the better option. Maybe he really is. And that'd be awesome if he is. Great. But I just don't know if we know. So just what if? What if the other guy, Eason, can make the offense even better, even more dynamic? And we just, like I said, we just don't know right now. And that is why our head coach is getting paid three-plus million dollars to make those kinds of decisions. He sees it, okay? The coaching staff sees it. Players see it. We don't. Now, if I, if I would have seen Jacob Eason for a full game or two, and then he gets hurt, and then Fromm is playing really well like he did against Mississippi State Saturday night, then I, then I would feel more comfortable making the decision and having a really strong opinion here. But... Until I see Eason on the field, I, I don't feel like I'm qualified to make that choice right now because I'm just going off last year, and this is, this is 2017. This is not 2016. 
So, I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, look, I will say that I am completely comfortable with Jake Fromm being our guy. If he is if he is better than Eason and, and the coaches make that decision, then I'm absolutely comfortable with that. I'm 100% good with that. He still has a lot of room to grow and improve. They all do. But the guy is just a winner. And I can't wait to see what the future has in store for him. I just, again, can't. I, I haven't seen enough from Eason to make a decision or to make to have a really declarative statement one way or the other here. Uh, so I don't know, man. Uh, it's it's I, I totally respect someone's opinion if you say that Fromm's got to be the guy. He, you can't take him away now, and that he's he's claimed the job. Eason shouldn't get it back. I understand where you're coming from. I, I get it, but just again, there's a little voice in the back of my head saying, "What if? Like, what if? What if Jacob Eason could make our offense even better this year?" I, so it's just we'll see. We'll kind of see how it plays out here. But Jay Fromm has been really good. He, you said that he hasn't really. We haven't necessarily won games because of him, but. I, I do think it's important to say with a true freshman quarterback, he definitely has not been a liability. And there were games last year where oh, Jacob Eason was. I'm glad. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So I don't, it's just it's, it'll definitely be something very. I mean, we're all going to be watching this very, very close to see how this kind of ends up playing out. We'll definitely have eyes on it for uh, Monday's practice as well. All right, well, let's move into our shout-outs here. I mean, I got a bunch. When you have a game like that, thirty-one to three beatdown of Dan Mullen and the Mississippi State Bizarro Dogs, you got to have a lot of shout-outs, man. So, Kurt, who are you giving your first shout-out to? Baker. Yeah, I got him on my list too, man. Dude, he was he was a stud last night. I mean, he was on, he was on his own island last night. And he was dominating. And that's not the first time it's happened this year. I mean, he again, I don't want to say it was just him, and I know that they they have some quarterback issues at Notre Dame, not from a running perspective, but you know, Wimbush has got to he's got to improve a little bit as a passer. But Equinemius St. Brown is leg, he's the real deal wide receiver, and Baker had him almost all night, man up. And he, he, he shut him down for the most part in that game. And he did the same thing uh, on Saturday night against Mississippi State. I, I think DeAndre Baker, now tell me if I'm overreacting here. Is he playing at an all-SEC caliber level right now? Uh, close to it. I wouldn't say all-SEC. I'd like to see a little bit more. You know, the thing is, we focus on our guys so much, we don't really focus on Well, we don't guys. see other guys as much. I'm just saying... If someone put him on all I mean, on all like SEC less, it would be fair. Secondary. Best of our secondary, yes. Oh, he's definitely our best man guy. There's no, I mean, nobody's really completed anything on him all year. And I, oh, he's, I mean, he's the been only really time good. They really hit him are inside passes, really. Yeah, he's been really good. He's been and good at man. Really trying to take away the outside. Yeah, he got he had a great read on uh, Fitzgerald on that pick last night on Saturday night where he was he kind of fell off his guy. Saw Fitzgerald was going to go to the out route and just. Broke on it and made a huge play there. It kind of sealed the game there, more or less. So uh, he's playing. He's playing lights out right now. I mean, it ha- again, it hasn't just been one game. This has been a, kind of a, a continuing thing for DeAndre Baker. So shout out to DeAndre there, man. All right, I'm gonna go with a guy you mentioned uh, earlier in the outset there, Mr. Jim Chaney. All right, this is a guy that takes a lot of heat from this fan base. And I said last night, uh, especially after the the flea flicker, I'm not ready to say 100% that Jim Chaney is the answer. You guys, if you listen to the show, you know that I've kind of been occupying the middle ground on Chaney. Because when you have a true freshman quarterback, what now? Is it 16 straight games now he's had a true freshman quarterback running the show for him? I mean, what he's been able to do, and he hasn't, our offenses have not been overly dynamic and great under Jim Chaney. That's that's the first thing you have to say. But I think it's, I think it's 16 or 17 straight games now where you have a true freshman lining up under center for you. That, that makes it very difficult to do your job as an offensive coordinator when you're in that situation. I think that's one of the reasons why Jacob Eason won the job coming out of fall camp is because, well, we've already gone through that with him. He's tired of working with true freshmen. He wants a guy that's been through the battles and, and kind of got scarred up and got that scar tissue and is ready to kind of take that next step. But he's taking a lot of heat from our fan base. But I have been 
not necessarily a defender of Jim Cheney, but I've been one of the guys saying, let's hold off. It's really hard to make a declarative statement one way or the other on Cheney because when you're working with a true freshman, it's so hard to know, first off, what the freshman's capable of, and the second off, what is Kirby Smart allowing him to do? I mean, this is Kirby Smart. He runs this program. He he, uh, he micromanages it. Let's be real. He does. He has his fingers all over the place. And he Jim Cheney's not allowed to run what Kirby Smart wants him to run, more or less. Uh, kind of be the identity that, or kind of work our offense to kind of the identity that Kirby wants. But Jim Cheney has consistently, in my opinion, dialed up some placers, even going back to last year, where he schemed up some plays that were easy layup opportunities. And we just didn't hit him last year, whether it's Eason missing guys down the field, whether it's guys dropping passes when Eason put them on him. And some the same thing early this year. But on Saturday night, the plays that he dialed up, finally, for once, we were actually hitting them. Okay, and I know a lot of you still were saying, "Oh, finally, Jim Cheney did something right, guys." Jim Cheney, if you go back, go back and watch games from last year. Okay, Jim Cheney put us in opportunities to put up big points many different times. We just didn't always hit those opportunities. Well, he dialed them up, and we hit them this time. And he also kept his balance. I know again, we only threw the ball twelve times, but we threw the ball when we need to on early downs, on third and short situations to keep them kind of off balance. Last night, we would have thrown the ball more if we needed to, but we just didn't need to. So, shout out to Jim Cheney. Uh, I want to see this more consistently. But I really liked the game plan coming into the game and what we were able to do to keep that Mississippi State defense off balance and really just take it to them. All right, who you got next? Who you shouting out? Offensive line, as I mentioned before, I mean, they were opening holes, gigantic holes for our running backs and, you know, getting from a, a nice, solid cushion pocket. They did. They played really well. I, I'll say I wasn't super thrilled with their ability to get movement in the run game. That's if there's one thing that I'm going to well, take. They were, they were inconsistent. Sometimes they were getting a lot of movement, and sometimes they weren't getting right. any. But just the fact of getting some movement, we didn't think they'd get much at all. Yeah, I think Lamont Gilliard, of any of all the guys, deserves a lot of credit because he really yeah, handled he Jeffrey had Simmons. He the best game on the offensive line. Yeah, I mean, I, I was. Uh, you guys know if you listen to the preview show, I was really concerned about that matchup with Jeffrey Simmons there. Uh, and Gilliard really, I mean, he wasn't him all night long, but more often than not, he was a guy matched up on Simmons. Simmons was, is a nose guard, plays a zero technique most of the time. Kinley got him a few times. Uh, but Gilliard really held his own against Simmons. Didn't dominate him, I wouldn't say that, but he really held his own, and he he played well enough to where Simmons did not dominate or disrupt the game like he did against LSU. He was a just very disruptive force against LSU, and Gilliard did not allow that to happen, so I really want to give him a shout-out there as well. Uh, I'm going to go with another coach here. Jim Chaney, got to give him a shout-out. I'm going to give a shout-out to the head man himself, Kirby Smart. All right, I, and For me, it's it's about the mindset of this team. We are, we are a focused much more disciplined. I know against Notre Dame we had a lot of penalties, but the minds of this team, we are a very business-like team. Okay, One of the things that you were talking about uh, at the start of the game, you know, Mississippi State, right? They came out, started trying to talk trash before the game, right? Yes. And what did our players do? Just stood there and looked at them. Just stood and looked. In past years, you see this almost every week, You know, teams get in there, start jawing back and forth. One team starts, another team jumps in there. Our guys, we weren't about that. We had a job to do, and we went out, and we freaking did it. All right. No, it reminded me actually of us playing Bama at home a couple years ago, where our guys were jumping around doing stuff before the game, and Bama just stood there. Yep, and then they destroyed us, which is exactly what we did to Mississippi State. Yeah, yeah, and that's nice exactly what we did. So it's just, I mean, so Kirby Smart. Look, we got a long way to go in this season, guys. I don't want to like. I think people overreacted to Mississippi State's win over LSU, and I don't want to do the same thing here. This is a great win. I think there's a lot of good things you can take from this. But let's not act like we just won the Super Bowl, all right? We beat Mississippi State. They're a good, solid team. I don't think they're fantastic, but they're a good team. But just the fact that Kirby Smart has this team with a business-like mindset, a focused, determined mindset, 
They're, they have a job to do, and they're going to get their job done. People have bought in. You know, last year there were some there were some bumps in the roads with the, with the buy in, but I think with with Nick and Sony coming back and Davin and Lorenzo the same thing that shows you the buy in of this team. And in year two, it you can see the dividends paying off here. I mean, it's it is it's been really really fantastic to see through the first third of this season. God, that sucks. The first third of the season already gone. God, man. But yeah, shout out to the head man. Uh, he got a lot of heat last year for not getting the job done in his first year, and that's probably he probably deserved a lot of that. But through four games right now, uh, Kirby Smart's put this team in position to win every single game. You can see all the work he's put in through the offseason is definitely paying off. All right, who else you got on your list, man? Um, you know, I think Mel Tucker's a little easy, and you might get to him. But I actually want to go different. I'm gonna go Shane Beamer. Um, I have to say our special teams has actually not, been, you know, last year was a liability. And that's not the case. I mean, we're fourth in the uh, nation in punt return uh, yardage at negative four. Uh, um, uh, punt return yards allowed? Yeah, punt, okay, return, gotcha. p- punt return yards allowed. Um, I mean, Rodrigo is kicking it through the end zone. I mean, I know it goes along with the players, but at the same time, you know, that was the problem last year is the players weren't doing it. But, you know, Beamer was the one getting all the blame. And he was the one that identified and, and started communications with Nizalik, the punter. And you know, we we basically he he's a graduate transfer. He says he wants to come in, and we're the ones that open up the communications. That was all Beamer. And look look how he's paid off. He's become a weapon. And you're right. Like last year, clearly special teams was a major liability. But this year, not only is it not a liability, but in some ways it's become a weapon. I mean, think look. I think Rodrigo. I think the number is 13 straight touchbacks forced on kickoffs. I think he kicked out of the end zone 13 straight times. I know it was all it was all six times I think against Sanford, and it was every time last night. Or it was seven times against Sanford and six times last night. So I think it's 13 if my math is correct. So yeah, it's 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 definitely been a very welcome change from last year. There's no doubt about it. All right, I got a couple more here. I got uh, we talked about them already, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna give a shout out to Jake Fromm. Uh, you are absolutely right in your analysis that we called it, even though we took some shots. We call it a controlled game for him. Yes, the flea figure might say, yeah, there's some little trickeration there. Sure, but that's a low-risk scenario, okay? What the worst thing that happens there is he takes a sack or he throws it, he overthrows Godwin. It's a low-risk situation there because they were they were selling out against the run. So it was a controlled game plan for sure, and Cheney really kind of helped his, his young quarterback out. But the fact is when Jake Fromm was given opportunities and plays were dialed up, he hit him. Uh, it wasn't perfect, uh, but he was he, – that was by far, in my opinion, his best performance. And if we would have asked him to throw the ball more than 12 times, I think he would have responded with an even better performance. So, shout-out to Jake Fromm there. Anyone else for you? Um, I got a couple, man. I mean, I, I mean, I think – you know, I'm trying to go with different people. I mean, Roquan, of course. But right, he's, so he's, on, he's got a permanent spot on the shout-out list. That's yeah, that's changing. what I'm saying. And then, I mean, what about I, Tyler I Clark? What... Tyler Clark was a force, man. Going back and watching the replay. I mean, I I noticed him during the game, but watching the replay today, dude, Tyler Clark was in the backfield almost all night long. The way he was able to penetrate back there and disrupt, I mean, the dude was a ball. He was probably, he played better than Trent Thompson did last night, in my opinion. He did. He played more than Trent. He was a starter. Yeah, he did. Yeah, Trent Trent was coming in there with Julian as the second unit. So Clark, man, you know, rested last week. I was actually nervous about him. You know, when I I saw that he didn't play last week, I was kind of, I don't want to say freaking out. That's a little strong. But I was nervous because I think he's a really key part to our defensive line. He he definitely played that way last night. I mean, he was he was definitely a force. Very very pleased to see what we got in Tyler Clark there. Uh, you mentioned DeAndre Baker. I had him as well. All right, I'm gonna throw one more out here. This is not a player. The crowd, man. How was that crowd last night? It was electric. It was electric, dude. And, and we, you know we we get a rap sometimes as maybe a country club wine and cheese type crowd. Um, 
and I, I think sometimes that is deserved. That's true. But I'll say last night, man, that crowd was – I'm going to use a term that my, my uh, 15-year-old students use. It was lit. I mean that crowd was out of control. I mean we were loud all night long. So if you were there, guys, props to you. Shout out to you. Um, it was awesome. We didn't do the, I mean some of the crowd did the whole blackout thing. Obviously the team didn't do it, but just the the volume level all night. I mean Fitch, had, Fitzgerald had to take a couple of timeouts and Mullen had to call one from the sideline because they just couldn't hear. And uh, we were letting the refs have it. It was awesome. I mean, it's, it reminded me of the last time it was maybe that loud for me, in my opinion. So the 2013 LSU game. You remember? Like we, we beat South Carolina. That was a really loud game. The LSU game, we beat them. That was insanely loud. And I don't think it was really been like that. We've had some games where it's here and there. Not It was pretty loud. But not like last night. Man. I think all the hype surrounding Mississippi State, uh, the fact that we already beat Notre Dame, and uh, we got a chance to do something, to win the East this year, at least win the East this year, hopefully. And that crowd definitely responded. So all you guys out there, shout out. All right, now let's flip it over to the other side here, man, uh, which is the not-as-pleasant conversation to have. Definitely had to shout-out to some folks. we got to fire some shots, too, man. So with our Shots Fired segment, who are you going with first? Um, got to say Isaiah Wynn. You know, he played a solid game, but, you know, he had some – Had the holding. You know, had the holding. Had the holding, which is a big penalty. You know, a uh, big guy, we can't have that on a, you know, a big run. Yeah. Simple as that, especially from a leader. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know everyone makes mistakes, but, you know, sometimes you just... And we were winning so big, that really didn't come back to hurt us at all. But if it's, if it's a tight contest, that kind of thing can kill you when you're trying yeah, to go exactly. into score. Um, especially, you know, like I said, on the edge, definitely. Yeah. Uh, look, there's, there was so much in the way of... of well, there's so many positive things to take away from that game. That's, I really had a hard time thinking of shots I wanted to fire guys in our team. Because I just I thought everyone played... Really well. I mean, there were some guys. You know, Terry Godwin drops the pass, but he played. He still played well. Uh, but there wasn't really too many things that stood out. It's just like, dude, I gotta, I, I, we gotta address this. We gotta talk about it. So for me, there's a couple things that related to our game, or at least related to our team. That I'm a fire shot. At. The first one is Jonathan Abram, former oh, Georgia yeah. Bulldog. He didn't back crap. Yeah, shut your face, Jonathan Abram. Shut your face, dude. I mean, I didn't have to say that. He, he knows. He knows. I mean, to talk, to talk that trash, man, for the game, come and beat the brakes off us, and then the, not only do you not beat us, but the exact opposite happens. We beat the brakes off of you. Dude, that sucks for you. That really must suck to be you, man. So Jonathan Abram, dude, just, again, shut your face. Uh, next one for me here, the Kentucky defense. Okay, I know this is not even our game, okay? <laughs> this is not even our game, all right? But I'm sorry. I'm sitting here. I come home. I recorded the Kentucky Florida game. Try I was I was the weirdo in the stands. The people in the stands next to me were like looking at me like I was like I had seven heads because when they would put the the Kentucky Florida game on the big screen and people were talking about it, I would put my fingers in my ears and start humming to myself so that I could not hear what was going on and so it wouldn't ruin the score for me. Because I like to come home and watch the games when we have these night games. One reason I don't like night games, I know it's a great crowd, which it was, but I had to be able to watch other games as well. Uh, so they looked at me like I was like certifiably insane. Um, but so I come home and watch that game last night. Wouldn't have been like two thirty after watching that game. Kentucky. If you guys did not see this game, Florida scored two touchdowns, two different times, two separate occasions. They scored touchdowns on on passes where Kentucky did not even bother to cover one of their receivers. Literally, did not cover them. There was no blue in front of the receiver. Two different times. One of them being the game winning touchdown. Uh, to put Florida by a point with, what, 45 seconds left? But that wasn't the first time that happened. It happened early in the game where they just threw the ball out to 
Uh, Tyree Cleveland, he runs, well, I forget how many yards, 50, 40, 40, 50 yards for a touchdown. All right? Two times. So Florida gets two touchdowns because Kentucky literally chose to just not cover someone. And of course, they didn't do that by design. It was just idiotic um, miscommunications and people just blowing assignments. But this is why I'm, I'm firing a shot at Kentucky. I know it's Kentucky. Who cares, right? But no, I do care. Because if Kentucky wins that game, that would have given us at least a one-game lead on Florida, which is the team I still think is our biggest competition in the SEC East. Okay? So screw you, Kentucky. Are you kidding me? Jesus Christ. I guess there's a reason why you've now lost 31 straight to Florida. You just suck at life. Oh, my God. They screwed us in. Kentucky, just like 2007. You might have been too young to remember this, Kirby. Remember 2007? We're, yeah. I think we were the best team in the nation at the end of the year. Now, we, we hurt ourselves the early, in the early in the year losing two games. But we had a shot to get in the SEC title game. If we would have gotten that game, I'm convinced we would have beaten LSU. If we would have beaten LSU, we would have played for the national title. Absolutely. All we needed was Kentucky to beat Tennessee. And they had Tennessee beat. But then they blew it in overtime. So they screwed us then, and they might have just screwed us again. So Kentucky, God, you suck. You just suck. All right, anything else for you? I got a couple more real quick ones. All right, tweet this out on Saturday afternoon during the game. I'm going to have to fire a shot at CBS, man. Are you kidding me? CBS, I hope you hate yourself too, that you chose, that you selected with your first choice. You get first pick every week in the SEC games, and you picked Alabama at Vanderbilt. Oh, man, it's going to be a great game. Right now I get CBS, has it's, they're contractu- contractually obligated to pick to have at least have every team on the, on the network at least one time in the year. I get that. But you're going to match up Vanderbilt with Alabama? Like, why don't you save Vanderbilt for like one of those 12 o'clock slots when you have a doubleheader later in, this year, later in the year where at least it might be remotely competitive? I know Alabama brings you eyes, blah, blah, blah. But was anyone really watching that game after it was like 28 nothing with four minutes left in the first quarter? Was anyone still watching that? So CBS, God, seriously, man, just that was just terrible. Terrible, terrible, terrible. And last one here for me, college refs and targeting. Dude, we were watching this okay, at the bar. The Florida State game. Are you kidding me? Remember that one? Yeah, terrible. Yeah, if you, and if you guys know what I'm talking about, Florida State was playing NC State. I don't know if this actually had an impact on the game, but on, on the outcome of the game. But Florida State gets a guy, I think it's Pew was one of the demons, he gets thrown out of the game. He gets ejected for targeting because he hit the NC State quarterback with his hand in the helmet. It was it was hands to the face. It should have been a 15-yard personal foul, kind of like what Julian Rochester and a couple other guys did against, against Notre Dame when we played them a couple weeks back. That's a 15-yard penalty. It is not targeting. He hit him in the face mask with his hand, but he threw him out for targeting. And then in our game, they tried to throw Davin Bellamy out. Bellamy did not even touch Fitzgerald's head. There was no contact. I, I, obviously, it was overturned in review, thank God. But the fact that they even called that, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, I am all about protecting players, but are you serious? Like This is this has just reached the level of, of absurdity. You're essentially not allowed to play defense anymore. I honestly don't even know why they put defensive players on the field anymore. You're just not allowed to play defense. You're just simply not. It's, it's just gotten absurd. Yes, we need to protect players, for sure. But some of these marginal calls, just come on. Let's just use a little common sense out there. Just use a little common sense. All right, last thing here today. We're going to take a trip around the SEC real quick. We're not going to touch on every single game. We're going to talk about the games that have uh, maybe a little bit of impact on our season, particularly the teams that we're going to be facing down the road. And we talked about, I just mentioned this a second ago, the Florida at Kentucky game. So, Kurt, what's your takeaway from Florida at Kentucky? Kentucky is, so they are who they are. Yeah, they are, man. It's just, I mean, I, I, do you feel bad for Kentucky fans after that? I mean, God. I do a little a bit, man. Probably, yeah. Oh, God, that that had to suck. 
I mean, we've had our fair share of hard breaks, and we, I mean, God, we, you know, Tennessee last year. I'm mean, so I, I empathize when stuff like that happens. It's just, God, it's terrible. But look, I, I, in that game, look, I, I gotta get, first give Florida credit for finding a way to win the last two weeks. But saying that, come on, like they're just not that good. I, I still think they're our biggest competition in the East. But they had no business winning either of those last two games, or especially the game at Kentucky. They probably they could have come back and beat. They had they were beating Tennessee for most of that game, but Tennessee was coming on late, and they maybe Florida would have won in overtime. But the way they won that game, it, it, sure, maybe you could say, I don't know, was that luck? I don't know. There was definitely an element of luck involved in that pass down down the field to uh, Cleveland from from Franks to win that game. But they had no business being Kentucky. Kentucky literally gave them two touchdowns, gave them two touchdowns. So for me, watching that game. We're the better football team. We're better than Florida. Doesn't mean we're going to beat Florida, but we are the better football team. Their defense is just okay. I mean, they're they're not bad, but they're just okay. Now, I will say, offensively though, Florida does have some serious playmakers if they can just figure the quarterback position out. And they benched. I don't know if you guys saw this. If you're watching that game, they benched Felipe Franks late in that game in favor of Luke Del Rio. Not even Malik Zaire. Luke Del Rio, the guy from last year. He came in, threw a pick on his first drive, and it was a pretty bad pick. But he came down, give him credit, came down, uh, although it's not that difficult to complete a pass when no one covers the receiver. But he he sends him down the field on the game-winning drive. So it'll be very interesting to see what that situation is moving forward. Is, is Del Rio going to be their guy? Is it going to be a quarterback battle every week with Franks and Del Rio and with Zaire figuring that? But they have some playmakers. you got Tyree Cleveland's a really good player. DeAndre Goolsby's a pretty good tight end. Kadarius Toney is a guy that's really emerging as a true freshman wide receiver. The running backs aren't necessarily, I don't know if they're game changers, but they, they have some pretty good dudes. Malik Davis is a guy that didn't know much about coming to season, but he played really well against Kentucky. So they have some playmakers. If they figure that quarterback spot out, they could be pretty tough. I'll say that. Uh, all right, Curse, a game that we're kind of laughing at all day long. Massachusetts went into Neyland Stadium and almost came out with a victory. Lost 17-13. Had a chance to win the game late on the last second drive, but couldn't quite pull it out. What are you taking away from that one? Um, they have no identity when it comes to the quarterback. I mean, Dormady, like, he's, he is about as average as it gets. I, it, it, that's all I can say. He's about as average as it gets. He's okay. Kind of like Florida's defense, okay. John Kelly, though, he's a beast, right? Yeah. And obviously, that's we, him and the. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, are all they have. Yeah. But that's a pretty good one-two punch there. John Kelly is legit as a running back. I, I will admit I undervalued him coming into the season. The guy is he is the real deal at running back. We'll obviously get into him a lot this week as we break down our matchup with Tennessee. Marquez Callaway, he didn't have a huge game against Massachusetts, but uh, he's already shown through the first four games this year that that guy is a he's a force out there at wide receiver. Uh, for me, it's really hard to know how much to read into that game. I mean, I know in the service you look at it and say, oh my God, Tennessee almost lost to Massachusetts at home. They're terrible. We're going we're gonna to steamroll them next week. Okay, maybe. Maybe, but let's not forget we had a similar situation like that with Nichols State last year. So we're we're very familiar with kind of how that works. But I will say this. I don't know how much to read in that game, but the natives are clearly restless. You saw that picture. You were the one that showed me the picture, right, at the stands? Oh, uh, yeah, before, like, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those fans are not happy, and they didn't. And that's a very loyal fan base. If, I don't know if you guys saw the photos of that game before the game, the, the crowd before the game, and then at halftime. Oh, my God, like, they are clearly not happy with Butch Jones, so there's a lot of heat on him. I don't know if that – that that has to be weighing on them right now heavily. That kind of – I don't want to say controversy, but that tension in the program right now. So, uh, it, it's it, look, whatever whatever Tennessee has, it's always tough to go in there. We, always, we already said that earlier in the show. So we'll, we'll break, that, break that game down much more as the week progresses. But I, I know the – 
the overreaction is going to be, oh, Tennessee sucks. They should have lost to Massachusetts at home. Where that means we're going to kill them. That might be the case, but let's not just sit here and say that we're going to roll our hats on that field and walk out with an easy win just because of this one game. A lot of times when you, you have these matchups like this, it's hard to get motivated, especially when the stands aren't full. It's, so it's, again, hard to read too much into that game. All right, uh, Bam at Vanderbilt, do we really have to even touch on that? No. I mean, 59 nothing. God, I mean, it could have, it probably could have been 100 nothing. It was that bad. Terrible. That's what you get for calling out the champ, Vanderbilt. I mean, you get what you deserve. Last one here, Auburn at Missouri. Auburn destroys Missouri. What you, what are you taking away from that one? Uh, Missouri may be one of the worst teams in the SEC in the last 10 years. Yeah, Missouri, you're killing me, Missouri. You are killing me, Missouri. I was, I, I had your back as my sleeper pick to start the season, and now you're making me look like a fool. And I am a fool, but now you're letting the, whole, the entire world to know that. I just, yeah, Missouri is just terrible. I mean, it's just the program's in shambles. Their entire university, we said last week, their entire university system's in shambles. Um, Auburn, though, I think you can take a little bit away from that. Auburn, look, their offense is still a work in progress. But as I kind of said earlier, as the season progresses, I think they're going to become a very formidable offense. They started to kind of figure it out a little bit against Missouri, although I think anyone can figure it out against Missouri's defense because they are that bad. Uh, but Auburn's offense looks like they're trying, they're at least on the right track. Uh, Petway didn't really play. Carry on Johnson's healthy again. He's back there. Uh, you have Stim definitely had his best performance to date as an Auburn Tiger. Again, I don't know how much to read into this game either because it's Missouri. Missouri's defense is very, very bad. Uh, but I think Auburn might be starting to figure things out a little bit more offensively. And it, it, again, it just sucks that we get them so late in the season. I feel like if we played them next week, we'd beat them. But later in the season, if they get off that offense humming and get it rolling a little bit and figure out what they can do offensively and what works for that system. That could be a totally different story. Could be a totally different story. All right. That does it for us on the show today, guys. Please make sure to send us any questions and comments you have for our midweek mailbag show, our week five mailbag show. You can send us all your questions and comments about the Mississippi State game from this past week. You can also send us all your questions and comments about the Tennessee game that we've got coming up this week. So, again, that's you can hit us up on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us those thoughts and questions. GloryUGAPodcast at gmail.com or also on our GloryUGAPodcast Facebook page. But that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA Podcast. Before we get out of here, I do just want to take a second to thank you guys for all the support and for listening into the show today. We really, really do appreciate all the support, all you guys that listen into us each and every week. Hopefully, we do uh, okay helping kind of fill your craving for Georgia football talk. Um, but again, we just appreciate everyone tuning in and listening to the show. Uh, it was an awesome experience Saturday night. Hopefully we can keep it rolling this coming Saturday in a very tough road environment. But for Curtis, I'm Tyler. We'll have you covered with all your Tennessee talk throughout the rest of the week. So make sure to check in with us. And as always, go dogs.